We should probably cut some of that out. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of I Don't Know History. My name's Alex, I'm the resident historian for this particular podcast, and I'm here with RJ. RJ, how would you describe your role? I don't know history. That's that's basically as far as we need to go. <laughs> um, what do you think we're, we're doing the topic on today, RJ? I'm not too sure, I'm Not Alex. too sure. I gave you an out there to just straight up say I don't know and not make it seem like I told you already. It's fine. <laughs> Um, today, we're going to be doing an episode on the Iranian Revolution. Now, for any of you who don't know, who haven't listened to my episodes of the episodes that I've been on of Ajay's podcast, Kaparajay, uh, I am half Iranian. My father's from Iran. I have heritage from that part of the world. Um, I've never been because of reasons that we will that will probably become apparent as you listen to this podcast. Ajay, what do you know about Iran? Um, only from what the media have made out about it. It's a bit scary. A bit scary. A bit scary. That's kind of the vibe I get. It's run by men in, um, men in turbans with big beards. That's what the media tells me. That's what I, I mean. It is. Me. It is. <laughs> the supreme leader is a wears a turban and has a big beard, and the president has a turban and a big beard. It it like the portrayal of it is a bit scary, and I can't. If I wanted to go, I, I better not. Better make sure that I don't tell anyone that I'm non-binary and I'm bi. <laughs> I'm y- the d- yes. double. Bice. If I go there, I better not tell anyone that I'm actually Iranian, because they'll put me in the army. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Shall we get into it? Yes. Um, I've already asked you what you know about Iran, and the answer is basically nothing. Okay. <clears throat> so, the Iranian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what that is? A revolution. Yes, it was a revolution. So, it was a revolution in... It was an Islamic revolution. Yes. Against the ruling Pahlavi dynasty... By, by the way, I, just, I should just point out, there's going to be a lot of names okay. that you might need me to, to repeat. <sighs> yes. I'm just about okay with pronouncing most of them, because, you know, yeah. I have some background in this. But <clears throat> there's a lot of names. They're very, a lot of them are very Middle Can Eastern. Can you not have them in the, in the quiz, because that, that, that's going to be a problem for me. <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> by that I mean no. Okay. So, it was an Islamic revolution against the ruling Pahlavi dynasty by Shia Muslim groups. Okay. Do you know what a Shia Muslim is? No. Okay. Need more background than I thought. <laughs> so, uh, the, di- the, the, the cult... The... Let me just formulate my thoughts before I say this to you. Christianity is split pretty much down the middle into Catholics and Protestants, right? Yes. There's Baptist and Methodist and Congregational churches and Presbyterians and that. But yeah. the main one is just... Catholics, Protestants. Uh, Islam is split down the middle between Sunnis and Shias. Okay. Sunnis are um, a little more prevalent, so like um, uh, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis are Sunnis, Indian Muslims are Sunnis, um, Saudi Arabians tend to be Sunnis or Salafis. um, But in Iran and Iraq, there's mostly Shias. Yeah. Okay. The only difference is they believe that a different guy was the first imam, basically. Oh, okay. So it's a whole... whole uh-huh. uh, wars and genocides based on three different guys, basically. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, if you could compare them to, say, like, just as a one-to-one ratio of, say, like, I, Catholics, I would say, are more stricter than mm-hmm. Protestants. 
Um, like what kind of comparison? Is there a similar one? Um, maybe like the Puritans, the, the Puritanical Protestants in the Middle Ages. Okay. Very like rejecting anything hedonistic and anything um, anything excessive. Okay. Okay. So, it was an Islamic revolution against the ruling Pahlavi dynasty by Shia Muslim groups leading eventually to the overthrow of the Shah of Iran and the patriarch of the Pahlavi dynasty, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi. Spoilers. <laughs> oh. um, there were many reasons for the revolution. Uh, I'm going to background some of them now, and we'll get into them in more detail as we go along. So, uh, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi's oppressive, corrupt, and extravagant regime. When I say Shah, king. Okay. Yeah, this is exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, his economic problems, shortages, and the inflation. The westernization and secular, secularization of Iran and its relationship with the United States, human rights violations leading to withdrawal of American arms and aid, and the underestimation of the Islamic movement by the Shah, who was more concerned with socialism and Marxism. You'll understand why he was concerned with socialism. I'll tell you. It's because right in the middle of the Cold War, when not that far away from Iran, Russia was had become the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and was in the midst of Khrushchev and all that kind of stuff. So... I'm going to give you some background on Iran and its government and its the government's relationship with people. So we're going to the late 19th century. Okay, so 1890, something like that. Yeah. So in the late 19th century, uh, discontent with the monarchy was demonstrated when the Shah, who was a gentleman of the previous ruling dynasty, the Qajars. Yes. Nasir al-Din Shah of the Qajar dynasty granted concessions to uh, Major Talbot, who's an American general, to give him control of production, sale, and export of tobacco, lasting until 1940. So a lot of people, farmers and tradesmen, relied on the tobacco industry for their livelihood. Yes. The ulema, or the Shia clergy, remember them, they're important, really important. Shia clergy. The Shia clergy. So I, essentially, I really should just bring a notebook. Essentially the, the priesthood. Okay. Right? They had significant influence on popular society. and They opposed the monarchy just generally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so this demonstrated the power of the ulema because the tobacco protests led to this concession being cancelled. Mm-hmm. So the Shah Nasser al-Din Shah decided, oh, this this concession I'm giving to this this major Talbot is not not a good idea. So I'll I'll cancel it because of the pressure of the religious groups. So in the early 20th century. Uh, something happened called the Persian Constitutional Revolution. Now, this is the first, the first example of um, Persian people mm-hmm. becoming discontent with an absolute monarchy. So, discontent grew until the Constitutional Revolution, which established a parliament and a constitution, taking some power away from the monarchy. Uh, it weakened the autocracy of the monarchy, but it still did not change the way the country was governed. So, the... Shah still had the Shah, the Shahan Shah, he called himself as well, the King of Kings. Okay. Um, still had sort of absolute power over things, but there was there was a constitution that he had to run things mm-hmm. by. They didn't introduce parliament or anything. It just made it so that if he didn't go by the constitution, people would say, "Ooh, I tell you what, Your Highness, <laughs> <laughs> this is not. This is against that." So, uh, Muzaffar Adin Shah Qajar, the son of Nasir al Din Shah. Okay. 
This like I said, there are, there are going to be some, some names you're going to have to ask me to repeat. I said, Muzaffar hey, future RJ, Shah please listen Kajar. to this episode back specifically, because I know for a fact that he's going to put a lot of questions into the quiz for this one. Yeah, maybe one or two. Uh, he signed the constitution, but his successor, his son or brother or nephew, I'm not sure, Muhammad Ali Shah, he abolished it. Okay. So, constitutional forces marched on Tehran, the capital of Iran, to force the new Shah to abdicate and placed his son Ahmed Shah Qajar, who was pro-constitution, and re-established this 1905 constitution. Okay? okay. So, in, the, the main thing you need to take from this is that in the early 1900s, um, public opinion of the Shah's absolute power was down, so they decided that they need a constitution. Right? Yeah. Now we come on to a gentleman called Reza Shah. So... After the We're, constitutional... Just on. as a, another comparison kind of thing. Yeah. So adding that constitution kind of thing, is it very similar to what ended up happening with the Queen and Parliament? Or is um, just... Yeah. Okay. Just so, kind of compare kind of... In the last episode, I told you about the first prime minister, who, the first king who had a prime minister. Do you remember who it was? Alex, come on. <laughs> you know I'm bad with names in general. I believe it was... Charles II? Alexa, who was the first king to have a prime minister? Sorry, I don't know that one. See, even even Alexa doesn't know. Google Home's better. Um, anyway, after the... Consti- well, sorry, the, con- the, the comparison you could make is maybe, like, maybe even like the signing of the Magna Carta. Mainly oh. that happened 700 years prior, but it was more kind of... We're not. They're not changing the way anything runs. They're putting in place some rules that are there to govern yeah. how people act and okay. how governments do their thing. It's kind of like what can't speak can't lie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So after the constitutional revolution, there was in, there was insecurity amongst the Iranian populace because they were worried that maybe their their shah's not you know he's not got that power anymore. Reza Khan, as he was known at the time, uh, commander of the Cossack Brigade. Seized power in 1921 in an armed coup. He established a real constitutional monarchy and deposed the last Qajar Shah in 1925. So that old, that old family, the Qajars, they're gone. To be replaced by the Pahlavi dynasty, the first head of which was Reza Khan, who became Reza Shah. Reza Khan means Reza the Great. Okay. Reza Shah means Reza the King. Okay? So his reforms... He had real serious reforms... That changed Iran completely. Because Iran used to be... Like, you'll see some of the old... You might see, but you might never have seen it. Some of the old um, art and stuff is kind of in, in, a, in a similar vein to, like, the Japanese art from the Edo period. Where it was, you know, Ieyasu Tokugawa sat with his big spear and stuff like that. And, like, Kajari art was very in that same vein. Yeah. And it was very much absolute monarchy. Like, the, you, the king does something, you, you... King says jump, you say hi-hi, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but his reforms were social, political, and economical. So they basically the, the big three. Yeah. But um, while they were good for some, like we might think they're good because we come from that Western culture, um, they were forced. It was a forced Westernization. Yeah. So he f- completely forbade Islamic clothing. He banned it in 1935. No hijab, no niqab, no chador. Um, Iranian men were forced when they went outside to wear bowler hats. But... <laughs> That's not freedom, then. No, it's not. That's okay. But so yeah, you, you'll 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 
get a theme of yeah. good ideas, but really badly implemented throughout this whole podcast. Communism. Uh, he also um, got rid of gender segregation. That's good. Which is good. But, but you've got to think about the implications it had on the very the heavily Islamic society, which yeah. were totally used to it. Male the and female segregation. Like, what, yeah. what do you do when you start putting them together? People don't don't really know how to deal with that. You know? Yeah, yeah. You've got to think about, like, post, post-apartheid, that kind of thing. Like... It wasn't gradually introduced or an understanding like, of, like, this, this is, is going to be a long-term yeah, yeah. thing. Um, yeah, it's... I guess it's a touchy subject. Because, like, mm. for me, as a non-binary person, mm. it, like, the idea of, like, oh, good, so gender doesn't matter? Cool. Uh, oh... Oh, I get it because there are there are bad, not bad, not necessarily bad people. Think, think, just people used to their ways. Think about it like this: you used to have there, you know, you go into a restaurant, yeah, and there's a section for non-binary people, and there's a section for people who don't mind, yeah, and there's a section for people who hate non-binaries so furiously. That's right? gross. Tomorrow. You will have to sit together. Ooh. Yeah. That ends up making it a worse space mm-hmm. for, like, a, people who would hate me are more likely to get angry, Exactly. Upset, and, so, the, the religious... Yeah. The people who are, who are a bit more religiously minded, who now, like, who disagree with this, can't take themselves away from that. They don't go, oh, okay, well, I don't have to worry about, you know... Looking at a woman's hair. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just go to the men's bit. But now it's this thing. Yeah. And the veiling of faces was banned as well. Okay. So, yes. So police would forcibly remove hijab from women. Now, when I say hijab, right, do you know what a hijab is? It's the thing that goes around the so head. So, hijab, uh, what, what hijab actually means, yeah. it's not any one particular piece of clothing. It is just the practice of dressing conservatively. Oh, okay. I always thought it was, like, the whole situation of it's just it's the, not the, just the, the headpiece and so like the the well i guess the whole outfit was that like whole my... idea is called the idea of dressing conservatively like that is called hijab okay but the headscarf is not called a hijab it's that i don't really know what that the face scarf is called is something else the whole the the the, the letter box let's call it is called a niqab oh and uh, iranian women would wear something called a chador which is like longer and kind of wraps and goes round and down. Uh, a burqa is the word of the word burqa has been completely taken and used for something completely different. Everyone thinks a burqa <laughs> is like is is a niqab. They confuse yeah. it. Whereas a burqa is in, entirely covered with a veil for a face, like so they can see out, you can't see in. That's a oh, burqa. so I I thought once again, like I guess the only like for me to describe, like I would consider the burqa to be basically what a muumu is like. But including the headpiece yes. within it, that's I. That's the only. But also, thing. you can't you can't see anything at all. Yeah, can't see the I, eyes. I thought see you out, could you still see, see the eyes. I didn't realize. Nope. Um, yes, people rebelled against this because mm-hmm. you've got to introduce these kind of reforms slowly. In the 1935, at the Goha Mosque in Mashhad, which is one of the most holy places in Shia religion. Okay. Um, I, that's what I've written. I'd looked up and just added that. <laughs> but it's actually what I wrote there. It's one of the holiest places in the Shia faith. At the same time, this is very important. 
the com seminary com k o m k o m seminary is a place where they teach clergy teach, like teach the clergy was founded by abdul karim hayri yazdi right it was a religious school which taught muslim clerics i need to stop talking around it and just re- read what i've written down because i actually have all this information written down it was run by uh, grand ayatollahs or religious leaders so when i say grand ayatollahs uh, the Christian equivalent is probably one higher than bishop. What's that? A cardinal? Yeah, a cardinal. Okay. So at this time, do you, do you remember I talked about? Do you remember I talked about the ulema? So basically, the ulema is is these people again. The ulema were the people who rebelled against the Qajar dynasty, and it's it's the same people, right? Mm-hmm. So at this time, mullahs, as they have come to be known, or Shia clerics. They did not involve themselves in political matters whatsoever. Okay? They stayed out of it. Well, it is important to know, however, the gentleman called... Let's say gentleman. A man called Ruhollah Khomeini was educated in the, at the Com Ceremony. Uh, Com Seminary. And he would eventually become a prominent figure. Do you know that name? Say the name again. Ruhollah Khomeini. No. Okay. You'll know his face if you ever see it. Oil! Oh, here we go. Here's a big old section on oil. <laughs> Since the turn of the 20th century, the Anglo-Iranian oil company had enjoyed a monopoly on the sale and production of Iranian oil, right? So it was the most profitable British business in the world. It kind of harkened back to the old days of East India Trading Company. To the point where the British ran it and basically took all the money out of Iran from it. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was propped up financially by the company while the Iranian working classes were living in poverty. You've got this incredibly successful, um, lucrative business in Iran going, and the British taking all the money, and the regular Iranian working classes are dying of starvation. Yeah. You know? So in 1951, the Iranian Prime Minister, Mohammad Mossadegh, he's fairly important, nationalized the company and became a populist hero. Um. So after that happened, the British imposed an embargo on Iran, halting their exports. Um, and then the, the great English hero, Winston Churchill, oh God, uh, he decided, uh, along with some help, some uh, consultation from uh, Americans, some Americans, he decided that there needed to be a coup against this fellow Mossadegh. Because while the king was around, while Reza Shah was around, or I think it was Reza Shah at this point, Mohammad Mossadegh kind of basically... He ran the show. It was the only real democratic government Iran's ever had. Mm-hmm. And he was the prime minister at the top. Uh, he originally wanted to invade Iran. Um, this is you know, six years after the, the Second World War ended. But Truman, the US president, who was sympathetic to nationalist movements, declined to offer any support. So it was like, well, if the Americans aren't going to help us, we can't do anything. In response, Mohammad Mossadegh ordered all UK diplomats all UK diplomats out of Iran and closed the embassy. Mm-hmm. So for quite some time, there's been some enmity between Britain and Iran. But what happened to change this? Who was elected president in 1952? Roosevelt? No, that was before. The, that was during the war. Okay. That, I don't... Eisenhower. Oh, no, I wouldn't have gotten that. Okay. My next guess would have been Nixon, but I think that was the 60s. 
Yeah, he was after JFK. Okay. Dwight D. Eisenhower was elected in 1952, and he had a very different stance on the Iranian situation. Um, Eisenhower was an old general in the war, right? Uh, this, this was in the midst of the Cold War, which we've done a podcast about. Um, yes. Listen to season one. He was worried by the nationalist prime minister because he didn't want another full-scale revolution like they had in Russia. Uh, he was concerned about their oil wealth, which the U.S. is still concerned about Iran's oil wealth to this day, and their proximity with the, U- the USSR. Like they're right there. They have a, they're, they're being nationalists. They have a, a tendency to potentially um, stir up Marxism, mm-hmm. and they're really close to the biggest, most important place. Like, there's one country between them, I think. It's Iran, Azerbaijan, and then Kazakhstan, which at the time was a, so- was a Soviet republic. Yeah. So he was worried about communism, because everyone in America was worried about communism in the 50s. <laughs> that bloody raids. I know, right? So he decided on something called Operation Ajax, mm-hmm. which deposed the Iranian government, got rid of Mohammad Mossadegh. It was a CIA and OSS uh, planned plot. And it destroyed that Iranian democracy. Yeah? 1953, I've written this down. <laughs> US and British powers in 1953, MI6 and CIA, ousted the PM Mossadegh, brought back the power of the monarchy, and instated, there we go, instated Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, the Shah of Iran, as everyone in the 60s and 70s knew him, because he was the most, the most prominent Shah to be featured in media. Reza Shah, his father, was, he was around, but obviously media hadn't evolved to where it was, there was no TV, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mohammad Reza Pahlavi's regime was very similar to his father's, very similar. Uh, he had a complete, complete disregard for religion and democracy. Didn't, didn't care. Uh, he was autocratic. He was the king, and that was it. There were no, not really any constitutional powers. Uh, but he focused on modernization and westernization, which, again, to our Western ears, kind of sound good, right? Yeah. You don't want to be modern and Western. Uh, many groups opposed his regime, though, as it always happens with new new kings I mean imagine someone trying to make us more eastern exactly it's, it's still going to be like people listening now if the idea of becoming more eastern might make you uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it's it's change it's a big cultural change you're exactly right um, they didn't like him because he violated the constitution of 1911 or 19, it was it started being drafted in 1905 it became it was put into law in 1911 right? sort of the constitution right um there was political corruption and huge amounts of oppression brought about by um, his secret police called Savak, right? Sazimane etelat va amniete kestvar Savak, right? S-A-V-A-K. Are we saying that they... Is Savak also a word or anything? It's an abbreviation. And I'm guessing it was an abbreviation. All those words I said in Iranian and I, Persian. And yeah, I, I was like, someone really wanted to say Savak, but I was like, because I imagined it being like S.H.I.E.L.D. then. Yeah, if you like. But like, FBI and CIA aren't words either, so. What do you mean? It's, it doesn't, no, it doesn't happen to be a word, it's just an abbreviation. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they were trying to also be a, a word. No, no, I don't think so anyway. But uh, Savak is the, is the secret police, and any resistance that was discovered was put down again. That's going to stir up uh, discontent in America because of what was going on in Russia with the KGB. Anyone that has like a secret police is, oh, this is, this is not good, you know, even though the, America has the CIA and the Secret Service. Yeah. <laughs> Communism. Hypocrisy. <laughs> so, we come on to the 1963 White Revolution. 
I, I shall explain to you why it's called a white revolution. A seri- it was a series of political... <laughs> Instantly, my brain went to <laughs> revolting against the whites, and was, I completely understand. nothing to do with an actual revolution, but it was a series of political reforms that sought to weaken the positions of those in Iranian society that supported traditionalism. Okay, so the traditionalist, okay. very religious, Eastern yeah. view. Okay? Um... <clears throat> And, and also the people that opposed his modernist and Western policy, of course. Um, so, basically what it included was privatization of state-owned factories to fund land reform, uh, enfranchisement of women, which is a good thing, nationalization of agriculture, formation of a literacy corps and a health corps for rural areas, which again, sounds really good, expansion of transport links, sounds really good, uh, attempted eradication of diseases such as malaria, sounds good, yeah. and profit-sharing schemes in industry. So, more money goes to the workers and not to... I'm guessing that's what it means. That's exactly to, what it means. So, not... So, the whole... There's a limit of, on how much, like, C- CEOs mm-hmm. and shareholders, for instance, yes. would be able Privatization to of state-owned factories to fund land reform. So, that's t- to change what who owns what land and what land is used for. Mm-hmm. Um, nationalization of agriculture. That's to put money into, into those farms and agriculture. Literacy Corps and Health Corps for rural areas. That's to help the people who aren't in the big cities not die so much. Expa- expansion of transport links, that's basically going to m- make the remote areas of Iran less remote, because mm-hmm. they're easy to get to. Um, and then obviously profit sharing is exactly what you just said, yeah. is trying to give more people money. It, it's freaky though, that how long ago was this now? This was uh, 1963? There we go. Um, it's weird how it's that long ago, essentially, and it's still stuff that even the West, even Western societies mm-hmm. are trying to fight for now but essentially but it, capitalism <clears throat> is stopping it <laughs> on the flip side of that it's also something that's attempted eradication of diseases such as malaria you know what i mean this is only what 60 years ago yeah do you know what I mean? 65 years ago and the fact that you know a developing country like iran is not a poor country yeah had to eradicate malaria which was the last reported case of malaria in britain admittedly malaria mosquitoes don't live here yeah but do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know much about malaria because it's never really been... The only time I ever hear about it is say like, oh, you're going to South Africa? Yeah, make sure Here's you take malaria, malaria tablets. Um, so it was advertised as a step towards modernization. Yeah. He wanted to... It was basically his first step to legitimize himself as king. Really, but these are my reforms. This is yeah. my reign, you know? It's just so weird hearing I, that from essentially royalty instead of political parties. But I suppose in this it, situation, it it's... This kind of but think about it in the same, same way situation. as the current administration of Saudi Arabia, like Crown Prince Salman, and um, they're an absolute monarchy, the only absolute monarchy left in the world, and he's the king. Well, Salman is the prince, but he has huge amounts of political power. He could decide on laws, and it happens overnight. Uh, he sorry, he wanted to legitimize himself and gain support amongst the peasants and the working classes because the Iranian middle class was becoming increasingly hostile okay. because, of, because of all these things. Uh, it was meant to appease working classes, as Mohammad Reza Pahlavi was fearful of communism as well, mm-hmm. uh, rather than Islamism, which is maybe what he should have been afraid of. Um, so, yeah, he wanted to empower the working class to stop them from revolting, essentially. He also, <laughs> these are the slightly worse things, disbanded many political parties and trade unions and censored independent press. Now, you could argue that maybe he's doing all these good things in enfranchising women, profit-sharing, to kind of 
offset the fact that he's censoring independent press. That's gross. You know? Um, it didn't actually work, though. Because farmers lost ties to the government. Uh, they were actually worse off because of these reforms. Oh. Because they were given land that they didn't know what to do with. And they were left... Um, and there wasn't a system in place yeah, to support because them. because they nationalised the agriculture. They were left with these farms that they just... They didn't, they didn't have the resources to run. These big businesses had gone away yeah. because the government had bought them back and he didn't really have that... Like, the government didn't really have that much interest in actually running yeah. the agriculture. It was, just, like, it was just a power move. You know how... So, like, for instance, Subway. Anyone can set up a Subway if they have yes, a place. that's right. So it's like banning a Subway and giving all the places to the giving individuals. Giving them back to the individuals. But yeah. then it's but like, okay, all... where can I get the ingredients and stuff? But they're also but... all owned by the state. What? They're also all, they'd also all be owned by the state. Yeah. At the so, very top level. So it's like, I need bread. I can't get bread. How do I make this a functional bread kind of, sandwich? Yeah, because shop? people weren't, they weren't taught these farming skills. Yeah. And so it's, I guess the one thing that is clearly lacking within that is education. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's a, uh, yeah. It, it, these reform, the white revolution actually alienated a lot of the people he was trying to bring on side. Yeah. Um, which is a theme. Yeah. A theme through a lot of this. Okay, Ayatollah Khomeini. Ayatollah, remember I told you about the Grand Ayatollahs in the common Seminary? So mm-hmm. Ayatollah, kind of like bishop, essentially. If I say Ayatollah, read bishop. So he led the, he led the opposition to the White Revolution and the Shah's policies in general. Uh, in 1963, he spoke out against the Shah and was put under house arrest. So you can see what kind of, what kind of country they're living in. Yep. It's a real absolute monarchy. If you speak out against the king, it's technically treason. I mean, so he could be killed for that. He was quite generous to just be just have been put under house arrest. In November 1964, he was arrested again for criticizing Iran's cooperation with Israel. Now, if you don't know, Israel and Iran are like old enemies. And um, he also criticized the diplomatic immunity given to U.S. diplomats. He was exiled from Iran for 15 years. He went to Najaf in Iraq. What was that face for? No, I was just trying to think. At this point, Iran and Iraq had decent political relations. Okay. What really brought about the difficulty between Iran and Iraq was Saddam Hussein. Okay. Well, th- there's a brief mention of Saddam Hussein later. We'll get yeah. That. Khomeini's beliefs. Khomeini and the ulema preached Qorb Zadegi, right? That Western culture was a plague and needed to be eliminated. So... And also, there was an important, another important, um, wasn't an Ayatollah, but he was a religious thinker called Ali Shariati. You might want to try and remember that name because I'm going to mention him later. His ideas were that Islam was the one true liberator of the developing world from colonialism and capitalism. Okay? That was another belief of Khomeini. He preached that revolt and martyrdom against injustice and tyrannical powers was a key aspect of Shia Islam. Uh, and that the two major world political systems were a vice. What he said was neither East nor West Islamic Republic. Okay. Yeah. He also critically, crucially, right, believed in something called velayat e right, guardianship of the jurist. Now, what that means is all Muslims needed supervision from Islamic jurists or clerics. He, it necessitated the supreme leader, his new, later his supreme leadership of Iran. It meant that government should be run by the church. 
<sighs> okay. His message reached Iran through books, namely Islamic government, it was called. Remember that Iranian phrase I just said a minute ago, Velayati Faki, right? Yeah. That's what that is in, in Persian. Okay. And that was spread through, because obviously he's not in Iran right now. So how is he getting his message across, especially in the 60s? Mosque sermons, smuggled cassette tapes, and his Talabe students. Uh, people such as Morteza Motahari, Akbar Hashemi Rafsanjani, who is currently sitting on the Guardian Council, and Muhammad Mofate. Was it? Because uh, you're saying about tapes and that, mm-hmm. like essentially smuggling in. Yeah, um, so he would preach yeah. and send his tapes, but smuggle his tapes into Iran. I'm get, was it illegal? That, oh, yeah. That's another thing as well. So yeah, I, yeah. you say smuggle, I was just like, ooh, hello, the, the little underground piracy. <laughs> Not even piracy. I'd, it's like when people uh, send balloons over North Korea with DVDs. Well, technically what he's doing is treasonous. Yeah. Because he's basically saying the way Iran is being run now isn't correct. We shouldn't have a king. We should have Islamic Islamic leaders as the leaders of our countries. Yeah. So that's that's why it was illegal. <clears throat> not only right, was there an Islamist movement going on. Now, the difference... Like, do you know what? When I, when I say Islamist, do you know what I mean? Um, is that to do with Islamism that you were talking about earlier? Do you know what Islamism is? I'm guessing it's a different form of... of like, obviously, there's like communism and capitalism. I'm guessing yes. it's Islamism is Islam basically focused. Is, exactly. Yeah. If you if if there is an Islamist movement, it is a movement to promote okay Islam and the study of Islam. Not only was there an Islamist movement going on in Iran at the time, there was the Freedom Movement of Iran, which were reformist Islamists, the National Front, who were a secular opposition group, the Today Party, which were Marxists, the the Fedayan guerrillas, who were also Marxists, and the People's Mujahideen. Who the, all these people opposed the Shah, right? Ayatollah Khomeini, despite the fact that all these people had very differing ideals, he worked to unite the opposition parties behind him, completely ignoring and avoiding specifics that could divide, such as his idea of clerical rule. Yeah, a lot of people, particularly like the Freedom Movement of Iran, who are reformist Islamists, are going to and like the, the Marxists are going to reject the fact that he thinks like a bishop should run the country. Um. But Iranians had become prejudiced against the, the idea of clerical rule, either because of Western propaganda or because it was a slightly extremist idea. Yeah. So he just, he, people like people did disagree with him, right? Even in the opposition. But the anti-Shah ideals, like, united everyone. They, they, all, they all thought different things, but yeah. they all didn't want the Shah around. And that's, that's what united them. How are you? How are you holding up? I'm good. I, I, I now and again I keep wanting to slam the political bell for myself because I'm like about to say something that's like that's relatable in, to us. In like the in. post show, we can do definitely like there are definitely parallels to be drawn to. Yeah. Lots of other times, you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's not. It's not really. I I, I was doing my research for this and thinking like, wow, this is just like this is just like this time, or it's just like this. Yeah. Or it's just like. It's Britain such a weird right thing now. of like, um, I mean, we started this podcast on the on the thing of like, uh, those who uh, don't learn from history are destined to repeat it, and just you look at it and it's like, oh my god, we really aren't learning from history. No, we're not really, are we? Well, if you would like to learn from history, please make sure you listen to last week's episode of I Don't Know History or 
two weeks. Last fortnight's episode yeah, about it's every two weeks. And if you're enjoying our lovely voices and you this is the first time you're hearing it, please go back and listen to season one of I Don't Know History. Make the, sure you subscribe. The final episode of which is RJ uh, having a quiz. And um, I, thought, you know, I thought you did all right. You don't, I really you're, should you're have unhappy. revised. I really should have revised. Even just a little bit would have would have been... Yeah. It was multiple choice. Of course I was going to do better than, like, if you made me guess from I, the get-go. So. But, like, yeah, that... It was fun. It was, it was fun and stressful, fun. but like watching me score him is like, yeah. Or well, I mean, listening to you score It's funny. It, it's fun. Um, I'd also like to take this time to remind you that I Don't Know History is brought to you by Podmage.com. A, a different, different kind, kind of, of casting. casting. What else can the listeners find on Podmage.com, RJ? Well, they can find the podcast Dare Dare, hosted by Portia and Bethan. It like, is can I just say Dead Air? Because you said it funny then. Dead Air. You said Dead Air. Dead Air. <laughs> Ta-da! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling Portia in a bit there just to laugh. I'm just going to call her up and go, da-da! And then hang up. Okay. That, that's my joke. Any other podcasts? Uh, they can also find Kaparaje, which is your uh, Monday morning wake up show. So if you're the type of person who likes a. a likes a, 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 just a nice fun time on the way into work or just. Just wants that nice warm cuppa feeling. Who hosts that, RJ? Uh, it's uh, RJ Davis, the best host on uh, Podmates.com, a different kind of casting. Um, yeah, and as well as they can find Brawn Through, Bain- Brawn Through Brains, right which there, is a fitness podcast, uh, The Rhyme Quests, uh, The Geek Center, and there's, there's a bunch on Podmates.com. Check them out. Yes. Have you remembered any of the names I asked you to remember? Uh, hang on. I haven't remembered because I wrote them He's down. written them down, ladies and gentlemen. I, my life currently, I've decided to come to these with a book so I would remember stuff. <laughs> um, Ali Sheriati was the important one. I even tagged it with He's an important. important. Um, <laughs> names of people. Oh, wait, Mohammed Mossadegh. Mohammed Mossadegh. He's important, yeah. yeah. Uh, Eisenhower, I've written here with oil wealth next yeah. to it. Um, uh, the com, I've written something bad here with a sharpie. Com, serum, serum, seminary, seminary, yeah, ceremony, seminary, 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 not ceremony. Yeah, I'm going to a ceremony on the weekend. Well, are there any other two names? Uh, any other two names? Yeah, two names. I haven't got any, sorry. Mohammed Reza Pahlavi, the Shah, <laughs> his name. Hamid, say that again. Mohammed Reza. Reza. Pahlavi. 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 Cool. And Ayatollah Khomeini. Ayatollah. Yeah. Khomeini. K-H-O-M. I am going to rewrite just, these later just, on with Google Autocorrect. Just write it in a way that you will know how to pronounce it. Exactly. Okay, cool. Ayatollah okay. Khomeini. 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 <laughs> right? Try, Alex, try, try and make you this know. Noise. You know I'm bad at names. Try and make this noise. Try, try make this noise. Khomeini. Khomeini. That's it. Okay, you're asking me just to do the Welsh. There you go. So you got it, bro. Khomeini. Khomeini. So I'm gonna put a small C in front of that just so I remember. <laughs> to really like roll Khomeini. that C. Khomeini, like that. 
<sighs> so, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi and Ayatollah Khomeini. His first name is Ruhollah, but you don't need to remember that. Okay. You remember Khomeini, right? Okay. <clears throat> now we're into the 1970s. Cool. I'll, I'll let you know that the revolution happened in 1979. Spoilers. Does so, disco come into this at all at any point? Not in Iran. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, there might have been some disco going on in Iran because... They, you know, going into the seventies, they were a very Western nation, and there were dance clubs, and there were bars, and there were cinemas. They're close like to uh, to the Russians as well. Uh, well, in nearly uh, because the you Russian never know. They they might have uh, had some Boney M and rah rah Rasputin, love the Russian queen. I mean, Rasputin was around in like the seventeenth century, so. No, I just mean the song. 18th century. I think oh, okay. the song came out in the seventies. I think Boney M are an American group, though. I know, but it's still a case of like disco. So that's true. I am checking for disco. They really loved Earth, Wind, and Fire. In do you in remember tablets. the Savarok secret police was here? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's awful! Right, oh, this... <laughs> okay. back in a podcast mode. Come on. So many events occurred in the 1970s that contributed to, or at least expedited, the revolution. Okay. Yes. Um, we can probably separate this into three bits. Religious, religious issues, social issues, and political issues. The 1971 celebration of the 2500th anniversary of the founding of the Persian Empire at Persepolis. Right? That was the, one of the first things that happened in 1970 that caused some stir. So, it's currently Shiraz in southern Iran, right? Um, so, Robin Wright actually wrote this in The Last Great Revolution, Turmoil and Transformation in Iran. I don't quote other historians very often. Maybe I should start doing that more. Uh, They wrote, As the foreigners reveled on drink forbidden by Islam, Iranians were not only excluded from the festivities, some were starving. So, this great big celebration at Persepolis, right? Loads of foreigners and dignitaries and stuff like that came and had a big pie. Well, just down the road, in like Yazd or Khuzestan, somewhere like that, people people are dying. People don't have money or food or anything. Yeah. The, the, the main theme that you'll, you'll find is there was a huge separation between rich and poor because of the amount of oil wealth and the personal stake that the Shahs and the Shahs family had in that oil wealth. There was no distribution, despite the fact that the White Revolution happened in 1963, 5, 1965. Yeah. No wealth had actually been distributed. A lot of what the Shah did was just like for appeasement and for show and to try and get people to stop hating him so much. Yeah. It's just austerity. Yeah, that'll come up. In 1976, this is a weird thing as well. I don't know why this is a big deal, but if, if there were you know, more devoutly Christian people in Britain, this would be something that would go bad as well. The Shah changed the calendar. He changed the first year of the solar calendar, as in 1 AD, he just decided it was a different time, from the Islamic format of the year of ascension, from the Islamic format, to the year of ascension of Empress Cyrus the Great. So imagine we said... 0 AD, or zero, the year 0, is the birth of Christ. Yeah. What if we decided that year 0 was actually uh, the, the death of Henry VIII? What, so instead, what, what, when did he die? 17? Uh, let's call it, I can't remember exactly, yeah. let's call it 1650. So, okay. Yeah? Or yeah. 1500. Let's say so. year 0 is now 1500. Yeah, so now we're only like 519. Yeah, exactly. We're going to be year 519. Yeah. 
that just changed it massively. And the the fact that the the calendar, like the year, changed that's not what the big deal was. The fact was, we took it away from, they took it away from like a religious idea, and yeah. just made it into a completely secular idea about the old Achaemenid dynasty from thousands of years ago. Yeah. So overnight, the year went from being 1355 in the Islamic calendar to 2535. How, it does make me think about our current calendar yeah. as well then. Like how, like 2009, 2019 mm-hmm. years is a, is a long way to go and mm-hmm. to keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So was, was that calendar introduced? When was that calendar introduced? 1976. 19. Right. It's, what? We need to point this out. In 1976... I meant our, I meant our calendar. Oh, oh! And in, you freaked me out then, mate. No, no, no. Sorry. I was uh, like, I'm, not, I'm not sure when it was. I can tell you who it was. It was okay. Pope Gregory, Pro, uh, because Pope. we are we are currently on the Gregorian calendar. Gregorian, which calendar. is very similar to the Julian calendar. The year it like changed by like one, I think. It's just a weird calendars are weird. Yes, they are. It was 1976 in the Christian calendar at the time. It was 1355 in the Islamic calendar. And then it became 2,535 in the Iranian calendar. It's like waking up. It's like the, the, the king makes a decision or the queen decides that the calendar is changing. And tomorrow you wake up and it's 3,255. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, it's 3,219 <laughs> instead of 2,019. Remember that Black Eyed Peas song? No. Boom, boom, pow. It's like, you're so 2,000 and late. I'm so 3,008 or whatever it is. Do you remember that Busted song, Year 3,000? Yeah. I mean, they could potentially, if, if that happens tomorrow, Busted could go platinum in the year 3000. No, they couldn't because we'll have skipped it. Shit! <laughs> we'll be like 3020. 3, it's like, nope, sorry. Mr. Shot. As well as the religious issues, there were also many social issues, right? Let's think about the oil boom of the 1970s. The rich became richer while the poor remained the same. Um, it attracted a lot of foreign skilled workers. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Everyone's racist, Arjun. <laughs> so obviously, all these all these foreign skilled workers are coming in, and Iranians are going, "Oh, I don't I don't know about this," you know. Um, but like I said before, the Pahlavi family was the main beneficiary. The state and family earnings they weren't clearly defined. What went to the state and what what belonged to the family? Because obviously, the land of Iran is was owned by this dynasty y- years ago. The like the tribal people of Iran the Safavids and people like that, took all this land and that family became kings and queens. When the Qajars were ousted by the Pahlavis, they, they then owned that, they took ownership of that land. So in the same way that the queen owns Britain. We just run on a different state of things so she just can't claim everything that comes off it. Um, but they could. And because it was still pretty much an absolute monarchy, despite the fact that there was a constitution and parliaments and prime ministers and stuff like that. Um, they decided what went to the state and what was their cut. Um, all told, in like in the 1970s, his family had accumulated $25 billion in oil revenue. And how much of that went to the state? Who knows? You know, there, there's, no, there's no definition. Uh, in spite of this, in spite of the $25 billion that the Pahlavi de- like family took home in this decade, the general public were living under austerity measures there it is. <laughs> and were poorer than ever, despite having relocated to cities to find work. Like, the, the oil boom is happening. Like, there's so many thousands of jobs being opened up. But the general public is poorer. Do you know what I mean? That just, to me, that just speaks of mismanagement. Yeah. You know? And that is what is 
I mean, it's how you can you can take a look at how wages haven't necessarily gone up over the past ten years. Is like uh, when you in, like count it for fact, like inflation of mm-hmm. money, and how products have gone up in money. Like uh, a loaf of bread is like forty p more. I know it's only forty p, mm-hmm. like if, including for inflation now, but with it's forty p more now, and the wages are roughly the same. Mm-hmm. So it does. It, it does matter. Well, I think, and, and not just that, the country financially is doing better. The, the country is making more money. Yeah. And there's more poor people. It's like if, 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 you're, if you get a pay cut, if your wage gets halved and tomorrow your boss comes in wearing like a crown and a fur coat, it's, it's like that. You know, so it's that kind of thing going on. Clearly, the people at the top are getting much richer, and the country is making more money. And there's an oil, there's an oil boom happening. Um, but the people are getting poorer and poorer. Also, something interesting that I need to point out. You know, I talked to you about the Anglo-Iranian oil company not long ago. Yes. Do you know what that's called today? I don't know. Like I'm hearing ang- Anglo, and I'm just like, is this going to be English or something? Yes. Think of a an English oil company. What? Think of a, think of a British oil company. It's not British Gas, is it? No, it's another one. UDF? No. Bigger. Swaylek. Responsible for a great big oil spill. BP! BP. <laughs> the Anglo-Iranian oil company t- today. Today are BP. Are BP. Uh, t- it's weird, that, isn't it? Uh, Do you know what I mean? BP are the worst thing. <laughs> Do PP still exist? Yeah. Or, like, they're not called they British weren't... Petroleum anymore because that has colonial connotations. They're just, they're just called BP. What does it stand for? It stands for BP. You know? <laughs> Political Big problems. Problems. Political problems. Uh, there was a party called Hezb e Rastakis. I shouldn't be rolling my eyes. They don't roll their eyes. Uh, so, a, a political party that became the only legal political party. All of the, all of the political parties were banned. That's a bad sign when that happens. Yeah. Because that happened in Nazi Germany. <laughs> World War II episode available on Poppage.com. Um, not only that, all Iranians had to join, and they had to pay membership tithes to it. That's just forced, like... It's just tax. Is ta- it is. Yeah, it's tax. It's, it's like, oh, it's pay money to your political party, or else. It's like people living in this house right now would be like, cool, you pay me an extra £100 cause. Because I say so. Not for bills, because cause. Because I know the landlord really well. Yeah, Do you like, know I mean? it's cool. Oh, you'll get more of a voice in this house if you pay me £100. Yeah, exactly. But you're all doing it, so... One of Hezbollah's main policies was to prosecute merchants who were accused of profiteering. Okay. Um, profiteering so you're talking like going... small merchants? No, not necessarily, small? but anyone who kind of hiked up a price that was, un, you know trying to make money off something that they shouldn't really be making too much money off. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, they, were, they were prosecuted, okay. which angered merchants and encouraged unregulated business, i.e. black markets. Yeah. You know, where th- there's no tax. Well, I'm not really surprised from that side because that one does mainly affect small business mm-hmm. compared to big business. So where like money is, so, but now th- that money from the small businesses is not going into the economy. Yeah. It's just going into the black market and not, there's no tax coming from it. It's not circulating. Yeah. You know, so that's another mismanaged political move that's going to take. I'd like money to away. see, um, like, the uh, inflation rates 
uh, across this time period. It's cool. high. Yeah. It's high. Um, now, moving on towards the revolution proper, there are two, two events, as well as all these things, that kind of really kicked it into, into top gear, you know? So Ali Shariati, do you remember him? Yes. He was a political, he was a modernist Islamist, right? Mm-hmm. Not quite, he was much more liberal than Ayatollah Khomeini, mm-hmm. but he still wanted more, Islam to have more power. He died under mysterious circumstances oh. in Southampton. Southampton? Yes, in Southampton. What, did he get a cruise ship there? I don't know. I don't know. He was on a P&O cruise. <laughs> I don't know. He was, he was in Southampton. Um, everyone suspected Savak, yeah. the Shah's secret police. Not only did this anger Islamist Iranians, the fact that he was essentially assassinated, they thought he was assassinated. Yeah. But... It left them with only one, only the much more extremist Ayatollah Khomeini to support. So you've you've got all these slightly more liberal Islamists who are like, yeah, we probably should have more more Islam in government, but like the, we were we were okay with the king. You go bang, he's dead. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we go this guy. And they listen to him for a bit, and they go, oh, the Shah needs to die, you know. <sighs> so like basically, Khomeini is getting support, not even like. Like, the Shah's just going, killed that guy. Oh, but all his friends will go over to this guy. Ah, it's fine. You know? And also, another important death, Mustafa Khomeini. Recognize that name? Who yes. Who is Ayatollah Khomeini's son. Okay. Died of a heart attack. Oh. He, I mean, he was only 46 and he was perfectly healthy. But he died in Iraq. He was in police custody at the time. And Savak agents were present at the time of his death. Fun. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of... Do you know who Jamal Khashoggi was? No. He was the... I can't remember where he's from. He was the diplomat that was in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. And he got killed. Remember, okay. it was all over the news. I don't really know. Okay, I well, d- Like, you forget... I, I didn't pay much attention to the news. Okay, so there was... I can't remember where he's from, but it was an Islamic diplomat. I think he, he opposed... Yes, sir, he's Saudi Arabian. He opposed... The Saudi Arabian Crown Prince, he spoke out against him. Okay. He was in the Saudi embassy in Turkey, and he did not come out. And he was discovered to be dead. Okay. And um, they were like, oh, yeah, he, he, there, was a, there was a fight, and he fell and hit his head. I mean, the autopsy report said that he'd been strangled. I mean, they couldn't even do an autopsy because his body was gone. <laughs> so the idea is, what most of the media think is, he was strangled to death, yep. cut up, Put in like a bag and got rid of. Grim. Yeah, it was grim. Um, but it, the, his his mysterious death and its subsequent cover up attempt is reminiscent of Mustafa Khomeini's death. Yeah. The fact that he was happened to be in an embassy and they were oh the secret police were there but they weren't involved you know yeah. you know what I mean. Um, that really like pushed it through you know. Um, so Etelat, which is the newspaper. In Iran, it's a daily newspaper, uh, so it's conservative. It's an it's an old school newspaper. It's been going for a long time. It's kind of conservative. It's basically the Daily Mail, yeah, the Iranian Daily Mail, right? It published an article condemning Khomeini as a British agent and a mad Indian poet. The noise on Indian, um, so that caused outcry. But that was written by a, like an undercover government agent mm-hmm. who basically wanted to make people think, "Oh, look at this dickhead," but it didn't work. It caused outcry against it. In Qom, the most religious city, we talked about where the seminary was, students of the seminary uh, uh, clashed with police over this article. And um, 
it's quite funny. It's, it, people have died. It's not funny, but up to, up to between two and seventy people died, and between zero and five hundred people were injured because sources vary wildly. Okay. Because the government are going, oh, only two people, only, only two people got killed. Only two people in the, pe- the you know the group that opposes us the most are getting killed. Remember when Donald Trump said this is the most viewed uh, inauguration ever? And then the numbers came in and it was like, it really isn't. It's not at all. Yeah. But then obviously the opposition, Khomeini's groups, like said, oh, 70 people died and 500 people were injured. I mean, so it's between two and 70 people died. (laughs) It gets better. I've missed a page. So after this, after this death, radical, radical Islamists pressured the mosques to hold Chehalam, which is a memorial service that you do forty days after the person's death. It's a funeral essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's like a religious one <clears throat> for the slain students of Qom. Services were used to protest the government. Right. So on the eighteenth of February, demonstrations occurred throughout Iran. They set fire to cinemas. Bars, banks, anything seen as Western. It was exactly 40 days after the, the death of the students in Com. Uh, the army was sent in with anything from, here we go, six to 400 people killed. Again, sources vary wildly. So, because it's all, it's all happened already, do you know what I mean? Like, the government said, oh, only six people got killed. And other sources are saying, no, it was like hundreds of people, you know? On the 29th of March, 40 days after the 18th of February, more riots broke out in major cities, and in worryingly predictable fashion, more people were shot. Um, another Ayatollah, right, called Reza Shariat Madari, don't have to write him down, he's not that important. Okay. He was a cleric of Qom. He called for support after he was, his house was fired upon in um, Tabriz. Uh, he called for support for a constitutional government, and despite opposing Ayatollah Khomeini's ideas of velayat faqi so the uh, uh, guardianship of the jurist he called for Khomeini's return from exile in Iraq he, he actively opposed Khomeini's policies but yeah. because this is happening he was like I'll oh, bring him back we'll have him instead you know so you can see how Ayatollah Khomeini is like he's the main opposite he's like the other guy that they, they could have in power yeah and they're kind of going he's, he's starting to get the people who don't really agree with him but agree with him more than they agree with the Shah on his side yeah the Shah's concessions, right? The Shah, despite his gross mismanagement of pretty much everything so far, took this seriously, though. He took these riots really seriously. He called, he called for truly democratic local elections. He relaxed the censorship. He tried protesters in civilian rather than military courts and released most of them. He instructed soldiers not to use deadly force. Uh, so they used tear gas and rubber bullets instead of actual bullets. Yeah. He dismissed all Savak officials in Tabriz, which is where these uh, Reza Shariat Madari's house was. And he replaced hardline Savak general Nasiri with a moderate, Nasir Mogadam, which appeared to calm things down. Like, ineffectual leadership is a theme of what the Shah struggled with, but these things actually seem to work. Until... (laughs) 1978, the Cinema Rex fire uh, on the 19th of August in Abadan, which is uh, in the southeast of Iran, I think. So four people 
barred the door of a cinema and set it on fire. <sighs> okay. Which, yeah, it's just not a fun episode, unfortunately, Haji. No, that's Which fine. killed 422 people. And um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. That's a lot of people in the cinema. It was the biggest terrorist attack in the history at the t- in history at the time. Bloody hell. Yeah. And, and it was until 9-11. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, at this point, it's probably the second, second or third biggest, like, terrorist attack with the most casualties yeah. in history. What do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think the, 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 the fallout of this is going to be? Well, it's just think typically what happens after these is people get upset, things get tighter, and but racism was, typically shoots up. But it was Ira- but it was Iranians it, against Iranians. Yeah, that's the thing. So, so I don't internally. I don't. I can't like with here when we've uh-huh. had stuff like that, and so like in Florida, um, when the attack in Pulse happened, it was it, racism kind of went up, and like mm-hmm. certain groups internalize a lot of stuff. But this, I don't know, because it's. You're turning on each other. You think previously, the people from the Com Seminary, who were shot upon, were burning cinemas. You would have thought a big fire in a cinema, a symbol of Western decadence, supposedly, they would have blamed Ayatollah Khomeini and his supporters. But Khomeini and the public blamed the Shah and Savak. People were just so suspicious of Savak all the time. Anything, anything funny happens, they're like, oh, it's the secret police. Despite the fact that post-revolution, many began to believe it was the work of Islamist militants working under Khomeini's influence. Not working for him, but they were influenced by his ideas. So they did this. Yeah. As like a, like a, the last thing for the revolution. But, so this, this, the Shah basically takes the hit for that. After increased riots in the summer of 1979-78 during Ramadan, so everyone's feeling a bit more religious as well. Yeah. Um, martial law was installed in Isfahan. That's the first... Nasty, nasty sign. Like when, when martial law is put in place, it's kind of like just dire. Yeah. Um, the Shah appointed Jafar Sharif Imami as a PM. He was experienced and he had uh, familial ties to the clergy. So he was hoping that, that would kind of calm everything down a bit. Jafar Sharif Imami was known for his corruption in his previous reign as prime minister. <laughs> However, corruption is a big thing in Iran at the time. Um, the government abolished. Hezb Erastakis and terminated all censorship after this happened. All censorship is done. There's no more. Um, but uh, to, to the Shah kind of did this to try and make people think, oh, it's not all bad. He's saying with the censorship. But it was, it was kind of too late at this point. Um, all the newspapers re- began reporting very negatively about the Shah and his response to these um, events. So on the 4th of September 1978, it was Eid al-Fitr, right? The end of Ramadan. Um, there were mass crowds of people protesting. Um, the religious groups uh, asked for on Eid open prayer, where you can just pray in the street. But basically, it was used as a protest. So f- about five hundred thousand people marched in Tehran, and it, this is the first time that the public began to call for the return of Ayatollah Khomeini. Okay, on the eighth of September. The Shah declared martial law in Tehran, the capital, and 11 other big cities. So you've got soldiers telling you what to do. There's like curfews, there's men with guns stood everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that in this country? It's terrifying. Can, like, it's for real. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, and even so, 
even even with this martial law and curfews, protesters took to the streets and were fired upon. So there's more protesters being shot. It, only 89 people this time, but it was the fact that it was like four days after Eid, as well. This is called Black Friday. Okay. Not the same as Black Friday in this country, yeah. which is a shopping extravaganza. This is a death extravaganza. Also, isn't Black Friday like um, here also a thing about when the roads are typically icy and um, a lot of deaths occur on that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Black Friday is used in so many different uh, connotations. I think Black Friday is a different thing for Americans and a different thing for us, but then because we're becoming a more American kind of society, they're kind of fusing. Well, we're forgetting one. Well, Black Friday for us is something to do with tax. Yeah, I think it's like the last Friday before. Yes, it used to be a case of it was a day that people used to put their uh, like it used used to get a lot of deals Mm -hmm. uh, properly on those days because it was a a day where they try to get rid of as much stock as possible Mm -hmm. uh, to bring up sales, uh, typically for a specific reason. I can't. It was the end of the financial year. Uh, I think it might. Yeah, it might have been even like surplus kind of stuff. But it enabled them to go into the next part yeah. with better funds. And in America, it's the last Thursday, the last Friday before Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah, pretty sure that's Black Friday. Yes. And in Iran, it's known as a day when people are massacred, unfortunately. So the Shah, despite denying any involvement in this, but like he, he, he'd burned his bridges. Like, there was no going back at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, more protests happened with no serious military intervention because he was he was so frightened that more people were going to die, and he was whether or not you think he was a humanitarian he di- he didn't want this for Iran like or you think he just didn't want to weaken his position like he he stopped the military from shooting people yeah which is good but also you, you'll you'll see why it's a bad thing in a minute um, then then what came was the October general strike. Mm-hmm. Which is basically no one went to work at all anywhere. It's a country function. With I that. just it doesn't. That's the idea. Like, but, like the, the country's going to stop functioning, so the, the government has to do something about it because otherwise all the money will go away. Can you imagine if like, no one went to work? Uh, yeah. Not just like the trains or the buses. Nobody. It's, it's like Christmas Day with no presents, isn't it? Oh, things w- still work on Christmas Day. Exactly. Like so, like. If you're not working on that that day, there's like hospitals. You got to think of that. Well, I always think, right? So and like, a little aside to the podcast. What if you're staying in a hotel, and they go on strike? I mean, you still have the room. <laughs> they can't kick you out, what can you, they? I need fresh towels. Hello. You just don't have fresh towels. Is anyone there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Guess you just have to go find them yourself. But what if they just don't open the building up? I mean. If you're going to a hotel and it's not open, then you're screwed. But, but if, if you're in the, hotel, in the hotel, then you're pretty fine. I suppose you could just want... Like, what if they lock all the doors, though? No, they can't lock your door. You've got the key. Yeah, Especially can, in this time, they haven't got out. the electric keys. You can go into your room and, like, oh, you can get in and out of hotels, generally, though, can't you, with the, with yeah. the key now? Although they could... They, I'm sure they're bolted. Well, you know, keys currently say, so like, the, mm. the, the, the we've got electric keys now, mm. so that's... Back then, it wouldn't have been a thing. Back then, you would have had the actual key to get in, as well as the individual door key. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, you've probably got an extra day in a hotel. Probably. But you've also got, like, no food. I mean, should have stocked up. You should have stocked up on UHT milks. Ooh. And <laughs> hope that they brought an extra two tea bags. 
round for you in that morning. <laughs> I, I love the little sachets of milk you get in hotels, but it just says, UH- just like real milk. Yeah, and it's, it's UHT milk is awful. Like, just call it milk. Yeah. I wouldn't know the difference. I use my milk to slightly cool down my tea as well. So yeah. when it's just room temperature milk, it's like, uh, what's the point of you? Work, yeah. So, where were we? The general strike. Because of the general strike, the Shah made more concessions. So he gave large wage increases to people. Who were like, oh yeah, come back to work and I'll give you loads more money. And mm-hmm. in an attempt to curb Khomeini's influence as well, the Shah pressured the Iraqi government under Ahmed Hassan al-Bakr who was the one of his most famous deputies was Saddam Hussein. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he pressured the Iraqi government, but before, like, obviously Khomeini got wind of this, and before they could, like, oust him, he's left for Paris. Um, and this idea, this plan did not work at all for the Shah, mm-hmm. because what does France have, what, what is France better at than Iraq, even to this day? Making is, bread? Well, yeah. What, 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 what is it better? What is, what kind of networks does it have that are better? Well, relationships with other countries in general. Well, like... I'm thinking more phone and postal networks. Oh, okay. Are much better in Iran than they are in Iraq. So he's he's distributing more and more tapes and getting his message across to more people now that he's in now that he's in France. You know, it also not only that put him in the global spotlight. Because if the Western media wants to get to him, they've got to fly out, fly out to Najaf in Iraq, which is not really safe at the time. Yeah. Because there's a revolution happening in Iraq. Yeah. You know what I mean? um, they, just, they just have to fly to Paris and to Nerf Le Chateau and be like, hey, Ayatollah Khomeini, what do you, what, tell me about what's going on in Iran. And he goes, oh, it's terrible. I should be there. More, some people are going to listen to that and be like, oh, maybe he's right. You know what I mean? So in fact, they very, the Western media actually very quickly turned on the Shah because of this. Because mm-hmm. Khomeini was kind of seen as this, uh, instead of being like this weird Eastern mystic that no one really knew about, this this kind of like he preached Islam and was like, ooh, everyone, that's how he was like portrayed. He was like this magic man. He came he came over to Paris, and be, like people started like seeing him and interviewing him, and he became this nationalist leader. Yeah, people went, oh, okay, maybe this is actually, maybe this guy is is good. Um, yeah, we've been going for a while. Yeah, it's gonna be a long podcast true. today. Uh, in fact, the National Front, who we spoke about earlier, the secular group who opposed the Shah, um, Karim Sanjabi flew to Paris to agree on a draft constitution with Khomeini, so that if Khomeini became in charge in Iran, they would have a constitution ready to go. Yeah. Um, so to officially use, unite the Islamists and the secularists against the Shah. Islamists and secularists against, like, work, do you know what I mean? Like, how does that doesn't that make any sense? Protest, however, in Iran continued. They continued and continued. They'd never stopped, and grew with little to no military intervention um, until the fifth of November, which is uh, commonly called the day Tehran burned. Okay, so fires were started, and there were full-scale riots. Theaters, department stores, government and police buildings, the British and U.S. embassies was set on fire Bloody yeah. in Tehran. Um, and in order to deal with this, the Shah appointed a military government. So he put a general as his PM, Ghulam Reza Ashari. Uh, he also made a speech on TV where he gave more concessions. He promised to work with the opposition and bring democracy. But this, again, it didn't work. It was too late at this point because the revolutionaries heard this and they like 
smelled blood in the water. You know what I mean? They sensed yeah. his weakness. They went off. He's given all these concessions, which means he's in a weak position. And he instated martial law in Khuzestan, which is the main oil-producing region. Okay? Now we come on to a very, a really, really important time. The Muharram protest. Muharram is a Islamic month. Okay. It's like a holy month. Yeah. Okay? Um, they were basically the biggest protests ever. Recorded. I mean, they're probably bigger yeah. ones in the French Revolution. But like in the modern day, like no protest has been bigger. There were millions of people protesting. <laughs> Nearly 10% of the people that lived in Iran were protesting. Okay, they were, These took place on Tasua and Ashura, which are two important days which are used to commemorate the martyrdom of Imam Hussein, which is one of the... After Muhammad, who was like the third Imam. Okay? I don't know if that means anything to you. Not really, no. Okay, so... These are all prophets of, of Islam. And the first, like, five are really important. Yeah. So there's Ali and there's Hussein. So Imam Hussein is one of the... One of the big ones. On this day, there were two million protesters. And by the first week of protests, it was up to nine million. Oh my God. Nine million people protesting in Iran. Um, And it was because of this that the Shah stepped down from power. Like, these protests were what finally did it. And Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran as religious and political leader. Now, things that led up to the Shah leaving and Khomeini returning were leftist and secularist groups had also they'd also started pressurizing the Shah to step down. But leftists and secularists they don't they don't me- mesh with Islamists. What they were doing is they were hoping to gain power in the aftermath of the revolution, despite being completely diametrically opposed to Khomeini ide- ideologically. Um, the army were paralyzed completely because they're 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 being told go in and sort out these protests for us. But don't use force. As an army that is a, 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 an instrument of force, what do you do? You just go here on reason with the, the, the blood-hungry protesters? No, you're not going to. You, you go and you just go, okay. Or you start... In fact, there were some reports that in some, in, in some of the, 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 um, the interaction between the army and the protesters was kind of like childish. And almost like, oh, you... Stop protesting. They were like, ah, oh, we'll protest as much as we want. Kind of stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, the US turned on the Shah. They rem- they took their support away from him in case he did not survive the revolution, which was becoming more and more likely. Um, the Shah appointed Shahpur Bakhtiar as prime minister, as, as leader of the transitional government, and he left Iran for Egypt and never returned. Um, so he, he basically put in Shahpur Bakhtiar, a fellow who... He kind of wanted to be like, ah, just kind of run it like I would for a bit. Like one of Bakhtiar's like first decisions was he dissolved Savak, he freed all the political prisoners, and he invited Ayatollah Khomeini to return. He's like, yeah, come on back, I'll be your prime minister. <laughs> um, and Ayatollah Khomeini chartered a Boeing seven four seven and flew back from France on the first of February nineteen seventy nine. And he became. Uh, it wasn't clear what he was. He was the leader. Yeah. Uh, but he rejected Bakhtiar's government, and he appointed Mehdi Bazargan as his as his prime minister. So there are, there are now two warring governments. Um, there are obviously tensions between two rival governments. On yeah. the eleventh of February, nineteen seventy nine, the Supreme Military Council declared their neutrality, leaving Bakhtiar with no power because Bak- um, what was his name? Shapur Bakhtiar basically was the de jure leader, 
like the Shah had appointed him until there is a vote to decide who is actually in charge, he's he's in, his government is in charge. Okay. And the Supreme Military Council are in, on his side because they serve the country. Whereas there were rebel parts of the army, like parts of the army went, ah, oh, no, we're with this guy. So until they declare the neutrality, meaning they're not going to be involved at all, Bakhtiar had people backing him, but he didn't after this. Yeah. He later fled Iran in disguise under a hail of bullets. Well. And he was assa- assassinated 12 years later in 991. Which is kind of sad. So, Khomeini is the leader of Iran. Okay. And uh, it's not where, le- not where we leave, but we have aftermath. So, in 1982, Khomeini had crushed any remaining rival factions. Mm-hmm. Um, there was conflict between Khomeini and the person he brought in as prime minister, uh, Mehdi ba- Bazargan. He eventually resigned under duress as the US embassy officials were taken hostage by extremists supporting Khomeini. Um, so the Revolutionary Guard was formed, which is the official military of the revolutionary parties who were like, if you were, you know, if you were a woman and you didn't have your hair covered outside, yeah. they'd show up and be like, what are you doing? Well, sort that out. You know what I mean? Then you also had Hezbollahi, not to be confused with the Lebanese group Hezbollah, same word. They were like strong-arm thugs. They were unofficially linked to Khomeini. They were like his... They would go and like throw stones through the store of any newspaper or any, any news agent that was selling newspapers that was critical of Khomeini. Marxist and Federalist parties rose to oppose Khomeini, obviously, because yeah. they were diametrically opposed, even though they'd helped him come in. Yeah. Um, they were put down. On the 30th and 31st of March, 19, I think it was 1979, they had a referendum on the government. Whether How did or not, that referendum go? I'll tell you now. Whether or not there should be a monarchy or an Islamic government. Now, I'm not sure, 100% sure what that meant. A monarchy as in, should Ayatollah Khomeini become the king? Oh, right, okay. Or should he become the religious leader? Or should they just, like, he'd be the religious leader and they'd have a king from somewhere else? I'm not sure. But it was, guess, guess what the split was? 5148 No. It was 98.2% in favor of an Islamic government. Oh my god. I but then do you remember in sort of the late 2000s there was a a presidential election in Iran? No, not really. And they were like it was so clearly rigged. Yeah. Because the guy who was really unpopular got like 80% of the vote. Oh. Which is which had never happened in Iran before. Yeah. I remember listening to reports in the years about different stuff. But what? Remember that guy Ahmadinejad? Yeah, he was in the news a lot. He was president of Iran. Um, there was a constitution drafted, and Khomeini rejected it because it declared it should be a hundred percent Islamic. If there's anything un-Islamic about it, it needs to go. Um, the constitution granted power to him. Not only did he have the power to grant a president to appoint a president, he now had power over military and security and like military policy, security policy. Um, he can appoint other top government and judicial officials. There's no separation of powers at all. He can appoint the president. He can appoint government officials and judicial officials. He appoints judges. Do you know what I mean? There also exists something called the Guardian Council. I mentioned a fellow called Rafsanjani earlier, who's on, who's currently on the Guardian Council. It might not be anymore. And they they are appointed by the Supreme Leader, and they are the protectors of legislature. They ensure nothing comes into force that is un-Islamic. Um, and they have control of elections. When elections happen, who's allowed to be in elections? I don't know, like, 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, in post-revolution Iran, there was people from the National Democrat- Democratic Front, the Muslim People's Republican Party, and the People's Mujahideen of Iran were executed in droves. That's not a surprise. In January 1980, at least 582 persons had already been executed. Oh. And in the following year, another 900 were executed. Um, opposing opposing newspapers were closed down, gone, no censorship of the press again. Islamic revolutionaries called for overthrow of other monarchies. So much the alarm of Iraq, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia, who were there like, but we, I, I'm a king. <laughs> I mean, I don't want that. Uh, in 1980, in an attempt to kind of crush this revolution in its early stages, Saddam Hussein's Iraq invaded Iran and attempted to, to yeah, which was the Iran-Iraq war, which ended in a stalemate. So after the Iranian forces had driven Iraq out, Khomeini denied a ceasefire. He was like, no, we're not having a ceasefire. I, I insist that Hussein be ousted and an Islamic Republic be formed in Iraq. Needless to say, that did not happen. <laughs> Uh, Britain and the US severed all diplomatic relations um, and domestic domestically like to be honest with you I'll, 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 I don't know how much my father wants about his life on here but I'm going to say something anyway like not a lot changed really yeah five years before the revolution five years after the revolution um, instead of grumbling about the Shah's corruption people were grumbling about the mullahs who are like the religious leaders um they're not afraid of Savak anymore, but they're afraid of the Revolutionary Guard. There's torture, imprisonment of dissidents, and murder of prominent critics. It's exactly like the treasonous statements that you said against the Shah would have been punished in exactly the same way as the treasonous statements you're making against the Supreme Leader. Yeah. And like the massive amounts of censorship, all that kind of stuff now as well. So what I mean. Yeah. There's only there's only been a little the, bit of the same evil, different name kind of basically. Thing. Like GDP's gone up. But then GDP will naturally go up over time. Um, like some of the only good things are that now sort of women are a lot more women are being enrolled into university, yeah, things like that. But there's still fear of there's, there's still such a huge fear of homosexuality that <laughs> more men in Iran have sex changes than any country in the world. Jeez, bloody hell! And it's not because they they feel like they're going to be women. It's so they can freely, you know, practice having sex with men. Without without being murdered. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Can't imagine the dysphoria that comes with that. I no, neither can I. There was a really interesting documentary about it. Can't remember what it was called. Unfortunately, I watched. I'll it like find. I'll try and find it. Um, but. There was something else I wanted to say very quickly. If you are interested more in the revolution. The Iranian the, Revolution. The, yeah. I highly recommend you read The Last Great Revolution, Turmoil and Transformation in Iran by Robin Wright. There we are. How do you, how do you feel about what you've heard, RJ? Uh, exhausted. It was a lot to take in. Um, and it sucks as well. Like I, It's just a such... <sighs> Hearing it described like that, it's still... Because the religious aspect of it mm-hmm. and how... I'd say the Western world operates now mm-hmm. with, when it comes to religion. It feels very hundreds of years ago. Like, we've done episodes of, uh, I don't know, history where we talk about, say, like, our, our monarchs, yeah. our kings and queens, and the amount of religiousness built around yeah. them. 
uh, and then the introduction to say like Protestant kind of mm-hmm. stuff and divorce here and there with especially with the Henrys. Um, yeah. it's, well, just Henry VIII, but, but yeah, just Henry. But you know what I'm saying. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like that. It's so. It's got it's there's so, such modern tie to it yeah. where certain parts of it feel like that's we're repeating mm-hmm. certain parts of that. Yeah. Like, is this just a human trait for us to keep mm-hmm. repeating this bullcrap? Yeah. And then you see how we've advanced as humans because they're mm-hmm. like, we don't. Uh, the, the, let's let's just admit, it, like the UK is not that very much a religious country. It's a melting pot really. of stuff now. Like. The most people would either be like oh, I'm agnostic or atheist. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not most. Say so like I think most people of our generation, I think. Yeah, but you still even those who are baptized Christians kind of thing even have that mm-hmm. kind of eh, kind of it. We we're not super into it. Yeah. Though people still believe in it and mm-hmm. hold it close, but more it's because religion feels more like a personal thing now yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than like a massive mandated by the thing. state yeah yeah um like if you don't believe in jesus you're gonna be you're seeing satan soon hanged, you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's just it it's weird to hear like essentially this this tie of mm-hmm. very different things in the mm-hmm. in the western world and to hear a very interesting side politically and how it operates very similar to us oh. on certain things but then that distant kind of feels like a, a, a very scary movie. Yeah. Um, kind of. It feels like, the, have you seen it. The Handmaid's Tale? No. That's about, like a, it's modern day or near future dystopian, like Christian revolution in America. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really interesting. You should watch it. Um, what, what kind of makes this episode of I Don't Know History a little bit different to some of the other ones is like in episode one of season one, we talked about World War Two, which is not that long ago. But it's it's like it's done. You know yeah. what I mean? It's finished. There are no Nazis anymore. They've gone away and we've moved on. Yeah. Like the Cold War finished and we've moved on. This is still happening. This revolution that happened in nineteen seventy nine is the is the way Iran is governed now. Yeah. You know? There there have been some concessions to it and it's changed a little bit and it's loosened up. But it's still it's still how it is. Yeah. You know? Well that sucks. <laughs> It does a bit, yeah. So, but then again, I I'm, guess this I'm is, not looking I don't at it know from, history in today. Yes, I'm not looking at it from, uh, I'm not the viewpoint of someone from the Com Seminary, who they probably yeah. think it's great. I'm, I'm sure there are people in Iran who think it's fantastic. I yeah. love the government. But what, the way it feels to me as well is in, in the same way that everyone was uniting against one enemy, they were, they were uniting with, their other en- with other enemies against their common enemy. It, it kind of makes me feel a little bit like the way Brexit is doing it in this country. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone is split right down the middle. You either leave or you remain. Yeah. You're either in Iran, you're either pro-revolution or you were against revolution. There are very few people who, and like the way it is as well, like the Shah's government where it was the middle classes who like, didn't make any difference. Yeah. If we leave, the, when, we, when we leave the EU, the rich people aren't going to, there's going to make no difference to them at all. It's going to be the poor people, and it's the decisions that the Shah made that affected the poor people, and the middle classes. They just didn't care about it. Like it didn't affect them. It's not that they yeah. didn't care about it. It's they were so far removed from it, they didn't even think about it. You know, and in the same way that like a white middle class American family in Kentucky, for example, they might not be active. Uh, this is on a political tangent. They might not be actively racist, 
Yeah. But they will vote for Donald Trump anyway because he, other people will be like, oh, racism. And they're like, oh, it doesn't... They're, they're, they're not racists because, like, so they agree. They, they're so far removed from it. They've never even like, yeah. seen a black person. You know what I mean? People in, like, Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> like, <laughs> where there aren't any black people. Like, people who, in Iran, who are so far removed from this poverty that when the, the poor people were going, this is terrible... This government can't go on. All the people who is are, it like the caste system? In not India? really. It was okay. just more. There was no. There was no. There was a very poor distribution of wealth. Okay. It was the rich people were rich and they had you know vested interest in business and stuff like that, and the farmers who weren't seeing any of this oil money because money was being pumped into the oil business rather than agriculture because they had so much they could just buy food from other countries. Yeah. They weren't seeing any of this money because. It was being vested in the royal family, yeah. Who was like giving a bit of money to the state and then going, "Oh, the rest of it, we'll have that. We'll have it." It's it wasn't being distributed. Like people in the middle classes are so far removed from from what was happening that they were like, "Oh yeah, the Shah's fine." And then when the Shah went away, they were like, um, "That sucks. We like the Shah." In the same way that a royalist today who makes a lot of money in Lives in some council, like not council estate. <laughs> lives in some country estate. Yeah, will be like, oh, the queen's fine. I don't care that the royal family take all this money out of the tax coffers. Yeah, but a poor people, a poor person would. Yeah. Anyway, that's been a hard hitting episode of I don't know history about bloody revolutions. It really has. And that's much more like the theme of series one, where <laughs> everything was about wars and death. Oh my god. Even the ones that well, weren't about death. Like Henry VIII were like, oh yeah, his bowels exploded when he was <laughs> when his body was moved. It's like, ugh. Well. History is just gross. Yeah. Well, talking of history and going even further back and feeling far removed, do you want to tell people what next week's episode's about? No. No. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to do um, Ancient Greece. Yes. Because a lovely gentleman on Twitter recommended we do it, or asked for it. Do you remember his name? Uh, we'll mention it next week, because I haven't got my phone in front of me, because I decided to not have my phone in front of me when I do podcasts. If you enjoyed I Don't Know History, please... Leave us a review. Like, share, and subscribe. No, um... <laughs> leave subscribe, us a review. Leave us a review. Um, tell your friends. Share. Just give us give an episode a share on give Twitter. Us a shout out on Twitter or something. That'd be fantastic. Because the more be, people you tell, that'd be sweet. Okay. Well, we'll see you next week. Say goodbye, RJ. Goodbye. Goodbye, RJ. <sighs> hey.